Welcome to Scholastic Reads, our podcast about books, authors, and the joy and power of reading. I'm your host, Suzanne McCabe, Editor-at-Large at Scholastic. Thank you for joining us. Thirst, the incredible true story of a teenage girl, a water-starved village, and the simple well that changed it all. It was still night in Mozambique, a country in Southeast Africa. But for 13-year-old Natalia, this dark hour was the start of her day. She dragged herself out of bed, a thin straw mat, and dressed quietly. Her three younger sisters were still sleeping in the room they all shared. Natalia slipped out of their hut and set off into the darkness. Shaking off sleep, Natalia moved briskly. It was 4.30 a.m. and there was not one second to waste. She was beginning a grueling journey, one that would take hours. She would walk about a mile in the dark through fields of tall grasses where snakes lurked. But she walked without fear. She had been making this trip two times a day, seven days a week, since she was 10 years old. Why? She was not heading to school or to a job or to visit a relative. She was going to fetch the water her family needed to survive. That was editorial director Kristen Lewis reading from a story published in Scholastic Scope, one of our classroom magazines for grades 6 through 8. Students in Kingsport, Tennessee were so moved by that story that they raised thousands of dollars to fund a clean water well for Natalia's village. Those students are among countless others who have taken action after reading an article in one of our magazines. Today, we'll hear some of those stories from Kristen, as well as Lauren Tarshis, the editor-in-chief and publisher of Scholastic Classroom Magazines. Kristen and Lauren will explain how they craft the stories that inspire students to become change makers. Later, we'll talk with third grade teacher Robin Allen Palmore. She'll tell us how her scholastic newsreaders are making a real difference in their school with recycling and anti-bullying measures. But first, here are Lauren Tarshis and Kristen Lewis. Hi, Lauren and Kristen. Thank you so much for joining us. Hello. We're so happy to be here. We're excited to have a great discussion. So first, could you just tell our listeners about Scholastic Classroom Magazines and how magazines like Scope and StoryWorks reinforce literacy while helping kids learn about the world around them? Well, we have 21 magazines that are read by about 15 million kids around America. Um, And they're used in classrooms ranging from pre-K all the way through high school. And what they all have in common is that they are filled with very, of stories that are relevant and current and meaningful. Um, and teachers use the tools that we provide with those magazines to transform our stories into really powerful teaching tools that can be used in many, many different ways. So um, we are not only journalists and writers, we are also creating very powerful teaching tools. Where do you get the inspiration for the stories you write about, for the topics you choose? I love this question so much. It's actually the question I get asked most when I go on school visits. Lauren and I are both in classrooms all the time. It's like the first question. Um, We get our inspiration from a lot of places. A big place, I think, is that we just spend a lot of time with, with kids, 
a lot. In fact, when I do school visits, I often set aside time for them to be, for the students to be the editors. I tell them they get to be the editor of Scope and they get to pitch me story ideas. And that's just very helpful for um, exploring what they're curious about. You can often infer what their anxieties are from the things that they talk about. And that's very helpful in choosing which stories um, to include in the magazine. We're also just reading all the time. I think a lot comes from that, constantly reading. What I would add is that we also have a we have a pretty good sense. I mean, as Kristen said, you know, being in classrooms, we have a pretty good sense of what kids are interested in. Also things that are, you know, going on in the news. The biggest challenges, but I think one of the most important things that we do is that we take these stories, a topic, and we have learned how to craft the topic into a story that is going to be gripping. So for instance, this one of the stories that we'll be talking about today for, is, is one that Kristen wrote that's an incredibly beautiful story um, about a girl in Africa, in Mozambique, who has to walk two miles to get to collect water um, for her family. So the idea was we knew that water scarcity was a big problem. We knew that there are many places around the, the world where kids are faced with the challenge of not having clean water. But for us, it was taking that topic and shaping it into a story that was going to not only be really engaging, but would also open kids' eyes and perhaps make them want to engage in a new way. And I'd love to hear a little more about the story of the girl in Mozambique. So Natalia, the, the, um, the 15-year-old girl in Mozambique, loved going to school. It's all she wanted to do was, was be at school. But... Like so many kids, the responsibility of getting water was on her, and that took up most of her day. So she was lucky to make it to school, you know, once, twice a week, and often not for the full day. And so having a well built in her community meant that she had all this time back. And I think it was very powerful hearing her story about what it meant. Like she really, um, what it meant to her to be able to learn all day now that she doesn't have to worry about getting water. And it's something that's so easy to take for granted. And I, I think a lot of the stories that we have, we feel have been most successful combine a lot of the ingredients that Kristen just talked about in, in explaining Natalia's journey in that they're stories that are, um, that kids can connect to on a visceral level. They're stories that take them to a place that they wouldn't otherwise have probably even known about, they surface a very serious problem, but immediately provide a solution. And not only a solution, but that has a solution that has an entry point that even a child who is, because this story also ran in StoryWorks, even a child who is nine or 10 can, can um, feel empowered to, you know, to take part in. And what are some of the responses you're getting from students? What do educators tell you about how their kids respond to the stories and maybe take action themselves? This whole idea of these sort of words into action stories came very organically from the responses that we were getting from teachers. So Natalia's story got an enormous response. We were getting emails from teachers, you know, a teacher from Idaho describing how his kids suddenly were bringing in their allowance money and mowing lawns and bringing in pocket change to help raise money for a well. And they ended up raising $2,000 in their class that they sent to the charity that built the well for Natalia. But we get, we get, feedback all the time from all kinds of teachers who are amazed by, again, it's that organic reaction that the kids are having. It's not the teacher saying, let's now do something really great for our community, or how can we help Natalia? It's they are simply sharing a story and watching how it becomes a catalyst 
for the kids to want to learn more, want to take action, want to connect in a, in a way with people that they might not have connected with before. Can you tell us about some of your other stories that have inspired kids to take action? So we did a story that explored the problem of elephant poaching in Africa. We told the story through the experience of this one baby elephant named Ishanga that was orphaned after his mother um, was killed by poachers. And Ashango was rescued by this amazing organization called the Sheldrick Wildlife Trust. And they brought Ashanga back, nurtured Ashanga back to life, and now Ashanga is doing well. And um, we had teachers writing to us saying, you know, my, my class, we'd raised all this money to have a class pet. But after reading that story, they said, you know, we want to adopt an elephant. And so they've adopted their own elephant in Kenya. Another great story that was, I think, really surprised us that it that it it caused that kind of response is that I did a story called "The World's Deadliest Creature." It was about the mosquito, and it was really just this we thought like very fascinating social, like a history of science history of malaria going back to ancient Egyptian times. But we also talk about the fact today that so many people in developing countries have malaria and the impact that this has on, you know, on kids and families and how the simple act of having a mosquito net can, can have this really, you know, incredible, incredible impact. So we were not expecting in any way, it was almost a footnote to the story, but we got enormous numbers of emails from teachers and teachers talking about how their kids read that story and their, their reaction to it was, how can we help get more nets for, for these people? So there was another really pretty wide-scale reaction of um, kids fundraising and, and awareness raising. So even sometimes when we do stories that are not from the outset intended to, you know, to, okay, now you can go do this. What's so inspiring to us is how kids take that on. Another one that we just, that was, again, a surprise was we did a story about a a boy named Kevin who has autism and his therapy horse, you know, and how this horse. And I just happened to be visiting a school and this was not planned at all. I mean, it just happened to be the day that they decided because of this story, they had a panel discussion. The principal had had a brother with autism and they invited many people, kids in the school who have siblings with autism. And they had this whole autism awareness panel that was just the opportunity for kids to ask questions about, you know, what it's like to, to have this. So it just, there are so many different, so many different ways that we've watched our stories inspire kids in ways that, that become also, these very organic project-based learning activities, um, obviously, there are situations like a classroom adopting a baby elephant or raising thousands of dollars for a village in, in Africa so they can get a well. But we, we feel that, that a story that inspires a child to simply want to look something up, a story that inspires a child to run home and want to talk about it with their parent, a story that inspires them to open their eyes a little bit wider when they're encountering a person that's different from them. That kind of activism is just as meaningful. And it's just as empowering as well. Yes. And it developed an absolute aversion to words like content and texts. We are not trying to create generic stories that are simply vehicles for teaching inferencing or defining a vocabulary word in context. Scholastic Classroom Magazine's is the only educational publishing team that is creating bespoke content 
stories that are perfectly calibrated to the level, to what's happening in our classrooms today, that's enabling teachers to take on complicated topics that are controversial or sensitive in ways that are, that are very, very carefully crafted. So when we think of a story idea, we are thinking about what is the impact that this story is going to have on that classroom and those individual students. At the end of a story, we want a kid to ask themselves or their teacher, what's next? What do I learn? Do we raise money for something or do I simply have a conversation? with my older brother about this. Lauren uses this wonderful phrase that I've completely fallen in love with often, which is that through our stories, we want to open doors of curiosity. And I think that really speaks to everything that we've been talking about. And what I've been hearing from my teachers with Scope, um, enormously so, is that a lot of the stories that that we're publishing now are really just the beginning of a journey. And it's it's like Lauren said, they get, you know, students get to the end and the question is what's next? They want to keep going. And so we've started to curate a lot of additional types of learning experiences that can follow these very, very rich um, and powerful articles that come in the magazine. Absolutely. It's not underestimating children and their ability. You give them the responsibility and they want to run with it and take on as much as they possibly can. And also giving them, I think, too, the space and the flexibility to follow their own curiosity. And that journey might not look the same as the student sitting next to them. And that that actually makes the the culture of the classroom and um, a lot more exciting. I so agree. And not just with teachers in the classroom, but children bring them home. And writing, that's part of the genius of writing for children. Everyone can learn, even adults from these stories. Often these stories are written in such a way that, oh, this complex issue that I couldn't really understand that's in the news, now I get it. And I love that when parents connect with the children over this content as well. I think perhaps there is no greater joy than when a conversation in a classroom around something that uh, a student has read in Scope or StoryWorks spills out of the classroom into the hallway. And so that the students who are coming in, you know, fifth period have already heard about it and can't wait to read it. And then maybe the conversation spills into the cafeteria. And then, you know, joy of joys, if it makes it all the way home, that's uh, why we do it. So even though kids may feel that they don't have all that much power, you're showing them that they really do, that they really can make a big difference in the world. One of my friends recently said something to me that I, I can't get out of my mind. She said, you are the architect of your own experience. And I think when you're a kid, it's so easy to feel like somebody else is the architect of your experience. And when you when you read something that moves you and inspires you to take some action, it becomes part of you in a way that you'll never forget. And suddenly you realize, you know, maybe I can't vote yet. I can't drive yet. But I have agency in the world. And I think history is full of examples of how kids have taken all kinds of extraordinary and amazing actions to change to change the world in big and small ways. So true. As we know, there are a lot of scary, complex issues in the world. I'm wondering how you still can lift children up with these stories. So I think even when we're telling a story about somebody who lived through 9-11 or Pearl Harbor, you'll find in all of these stories enormous humanity and great hope. I would add to what Kristen's saying, one of the things that's very striking, and this is striking to me as the author of a lot of story work stories, but also as the author of I Survived, a lot of kids, whenever I go to school, they one kid wrote to me actually, and one of my favorite all-time questions was, 
Mrs. Tarshish, how do you write about things that are so depressing? D-U-P-R-E-S-S-I-N-G. And my response was that ironically, I think I've become more hopeful after writing as, as the person who's really delved into a lot of these kinds of topics, because what we find, what Kristen and I find over and over again, are people like Natalia, people who are able to go through incredibly challenging experiences, experience natural disasters, or they've gone through things that are really unimaginable. And it's not to say that they instantly heal and move on, but there's a, there is a grieving process and there's a healing process. And sometimes it takes a very long time, but people do come out the other side. They get help from their friends and their family and their community from people far away. You know, when I wrote about Joplin, one of the most amazing stories was that this family told me that a man from Japan came to Joplin, Missouri to help people pick through the wreckage of their homes because Americans had come to his village in Japan after tsunami. So you, you read these things and you end up feeling you, you, you can't help but to feel a little bit hopeful about our capacity to help each other, to recover from really, really, really um, major traumas, and even feel joy again. You're making me want to read all of these stories. Could you tell our listeners how they can learn more about Scholastic Classroom magazines? To learn more, you can go to scholastic.com forward slash magazines. Well, thank you both so very much for joining us. Thank you, Suzanne. Thanks. Now, we'll hear from Robin Allen Palmore, a third grade teacher at Bolton Elementary School in Cleveland, Ohio. She'll tell us how her students have been inspired by the stories they've read in Scholastic Classroom magazines to make real change, like implementing recycling initiatives and standing up to bullying. Hi, Robin. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Hello. We'd love for you to tell our listeners a bit about yourself and your students. Um, I've been teaching for 17 years. This is my second career. Uh, I teach third grade in the urban community. I have about 32 plus students in my classroom. How do you inspire them to become engaged in the community and make a positive difference? Well, I start off by letting them know that our classroom is a community. And we set it up like a community. We care for each other. We take care of each other. We're responsible. We have jobs. And they step up to the task. Really sounds like they do. I know that your third grade class has a recycling project. Could you tell us about that and what inspired them to take the initiative for this particular cause? The recycling project started last year. We did some investigating, but the first thing that got us excited about it was an article that we read in Scholastic News. It was an article that I've used from several years ago, and I just thought it was a fabulous article. We read that article, the kids got excited, and they wanted to do something. And I thought the best place to start was in the classroom, and then we took it to the school, and then we took it to the community. Could you describe some of the projects that they did? Yes. They started, they realized that in the lunchroom that a lot of kids were throwing away a lot of potato chip bags, snack bags. And they said, Miss Palmore, we collected all these bags for you. What can we do with these bags? (laughs) So I found something that we could do with the bags. We flattened the bags. 
and we started making little kids started making purses, pouches with them. And then the other students wanted them. Then the art teacher got on board and they wanted to do a fashion show using recycled material. The kids from the plastic bottles that we were collecting, they we had collected so many plastic water bottles. And the kids said, Miss Palmore, what can we do with these water bottles? And we researched it and we decided to build a water bottle greenhouse, which was a very adventurous task for me and the children. <laughs> How did you go about doing that? My goodness. <laughs> I don't know. We did. I did not know anything about this. So we did some research. And of course, we had to do some modifications, but we put our heads together and the entire class worked together. And then we saw something wonderful happen. Uh, students from the upper grades, students from the lower grades, um, administration, other teachers wanted to help support and be engaged in this activity. And it almost became a school-wide activity. But in the end, it was the kids that actually built the greenhouse. It was just phenomenal. Oh, my gosh. And what was the response of the community? The community was awesome. The school is close to a hospital. The hospital got on board. Some sports centers got on board. Um, Some of the stores that are around the area got on board. All the teachers got on board. We had so many people supporting us. Channel 3 got on board. It was just amazing how many people got on board with this cause. What was your students' response to see that they could really make a difference and get the attention of adults in their community? They were so excited. They, they wanted to keep doing and they wanted to do more. And what came out of this little idea was beyond my imagination. The kids were coming up with more things to do, uh, research to do, science projects to do. It was just amazing what came out of these children. Oh, my gosh. And what do they learn? I, I would imagine that they realize how much power they really have to make a positive difference in the world. Could you tell us about how their attitudes change once they get involved? Oh, you couldn't tell them anything after that. They thought they were famous because we got so much recognition. Um, Channel 3 came out and interviewed some of the students. We were in the newspaper. Uh, We were in our school, on our school uh, news site. Um, we got recognized by the Cavaliers and um, the, they came, some of them came to our school and celebrated our students. It was just phenomenal. They felt like celebrities and they did not realize that they could have such a profound impact on the students, the community and, and surrounding communities. Oh, that is so inspiring, Robin. Are there particular topics or articles from Scholastic News that you find yourself returning to year after year that really affect your students? Yes, there is one April 13th, 2015 issue. It says this animal is made from flip-flops. And that's what spearheaded 
these ideals of what can we do. There is an article in January 20, 2017, and it's an article about bullying and about a, a young girl, age 10, um, who did something about it. And that's prevalent in all the schools. And our kids uh, wanted to make a difference. They wanted to do something about it. And again, that created a wave in our school. We made huge posters with some of the children in my class, their picture on it. And it was saying that bullying is not okay. Um, Whenever the students saw bullying, they stood up as a class and they stood behind the victim. And they looked at the bully and said, that's not okay. And every time the bully ran away, he stopped, he never came back. And that was powerful for them too. The principal noticed it and said that she wanted that to be the campaign for this year, stand behind the victim. And we're doing that and it's working. That is so commendable. What? Is it, do you think, that inspires kids in particular when they read stories about other children or other kids who are in similar situations or different situations? I think when they first come in the classroom, um, a lot of them feel like they don't matter or that they can't make a difference or that they don't have a voice. And in my class, I, I empower them to have a voice. I have them teach. I try to do less of the talking and less of the leading and try and encourage them to be the leaders, to take the lead of their learning, um, not to be afraid to say that they disagree or make suggestions in my class. At first, it's a struggle because they're not used to that. And then when they get used to it, I see them finding their voice, learning how to share their opinions in a way that is um, considerate, respectable. And then at some point, they take the lead. I have a, a little thing that tells them to take the lead. And they take the lead. They teach. I sit in their chair. And that begins to empower them. And then we take that outside. How can we make an impact in our school? And then we take that. How can we make an impact in our surrounding communities? Well, your students are so lucky to have you. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Sounds like a really fun way to approach it. I'm wondering, do you have any tips for educators out there who may want to give their students a voice? Is there anything tangible, just little ideas you could share with them to get them started? Let the children talk because, see, they're not they're not used to talking. We have a teachers sometimes have a tendency to be the ones that are doing all the talking and give them room to talk about things that matter to them and let them understand that what they have to share is important and it counts. And try to incorporate that in your instruction and in their daily lives. Because what goes on outside of the classroom impacts what goes on inside of the classroom. And they need that space to talk. Hmm. How do you find that students' learning is affected in other arenas once they've been given a voice and once they see what a difference they can make in the world? 
they're more vocal. When my third graders from last year went to fourth grade, the teachers tell me that they can tell which students are mine because they're vocal. They know how to disagree. They know how, uh, when they disagree, they come back with a suggestion. They're very creative in um, how they go about uh, addressing their education. The teachers say that they're leaders in their class. Absolutely. This is just an amazing story, and we are so happy that we got to talk with you. Thank you. Thanks so much again to Lauren, Kristen, and Robin for joining me. And thank you for listening. To learn more about Scholastic Classroom Magazines or to read some of the stories that have inspired students to take action, check the show notes or go to scholasticreads.com. Don't miss an episode of Scholastic Reads. Find us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and each episode will automatically be delivered to your phone. Special thanks to producer Emily Morrow, sound engineer Daniel Jordan, and music composer Lucas Elliott Ebrill. I'm Suzanne McCabe. We look forward to sharing more Scholastic Reads next time.